Greetings all, my name is Marcel Gagné. Welcome to Open Source Journeys. The music you're listening to right now was written and performed by today's guest, Craig Maloney. Craig is a huge fan of Linux and open source software, one of those who's turned that passion into a fun and career. He's a programmer, a musician, a gamer, and a game designer, and a collector of old computer systems. Hey, we all have our bad habits, you know. Craig is also host of the Open Metal Cast, a podcast about metal music available under Creative Commons licensing. He's also co-host of LocoCast, yet another podcast. He's a board member of Mug, the Michigan Unix user group, and he's one of those people behind PenguinCon, which is a combination Linux fest and science fiction convention. If that sounds like a weird combination, trust me on this, it works. He's also worked on various open source projects, including a few games. He also maintains TootStream, a command line client for Mastodon. And in case you've never heard of it, Mastodon is a federated open source alternative to Twitter. I could go on, but let's just welcome Craig Maloney and let him do some of the talking. Welcome, Craig. Awesome. Let's let's do this. <laughs> All right, let's do this, and uh, let's see if we can, let's see if we can try to be interesting. Okay, I don't know. If I, I will try. Be, I will try. I'll do my best. Be interesting. First of all, uh, I'm Marcel Gagne, and uh, the other guy is Craig Maloney. Hi, Craig. Hi. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. Uh, this may fall apart for us, but uh, we'll give it a shot. And if it doesn't work out, we'll try again later. But but um, what I'd like to point out uh, for starters is that uh, Craig and I have known each other uh, in weird ways for a long time. We uh, we. We met online in a Linux user group for starters. Yeah, the and, WFTL group. Yeah, the Wuftelug. So, and that's uh, that, I presume that that's because you were reading my articles and. Uh, uh, there's a slight suspicion that that might be the case. Yeah, yes. that might be the case, seeing as most people in the Wuftelug came from uh, you know the Linux journal stuff. But um, but you also invited me. Uh, you you were you were my point man at PenguinCon. Do you want to tell people exactly? You want to tell people what PenguinCon is because I think well, it does have an open source component, which is interesting. It does. So PenguinCon is a yearly convention, uh, a confluence, if you will, of many different geek interests, mostly focusing around open source software and community and the spirit of giving back to that community. Um, it's been going on now for, gosh, I'm going to blank on how long it's been going on for, but it's, um, it is one of those phenomenal conventions where if you go in there with preconceived notions, those conceived notions will go straight out the window because it, it defies all sorts of explanation of it. Um, well, partly Again, because at the heart of it, it's a science fiction convention. It's a science fiction convention, but it also has a tech component of it, which is tends to be more open source software. Um, a lot of folks will come in there and talk about stuff that they're working on, different projects. Uh, there's a heavy maker vibe underneath it as well. Um, in fact, the artist uh, craft area was all uh, maker stuff, people that uh, made their own stuff, which is really interesting. Um, there's a lot of writers there as well. Um, a lot of costuming as well. It's just, <laughs> it is, it, 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 again, if you head over to penguincon.org, you might get a taste of what it is over there, but it's just, it's, it's, it's a phenomenal convention. And I'm glad to be a part of it every year. 
Well, you know, I've I've been there three times. I was a guest of honor, uh, which is uh, when you worked with me at there, uh, right. up there. And uh, but I've been up there, I think, a total of three times, and I've always enjoyed it. I think it's I think it's a blast. And I happen to like science fiction conventions. I like them a lot. I I, I get into every aspect of it, and I I get a kick out of uh, the fact that you've got a lot of creative people working with uh, with you know with their fans and. Um, and you know everybody's everybody's on the same floor, uh, hanging out together, chatting together. It's always been a blast. So well, now it's multiple floors. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, no, it's definitely uh, has that that amazing vibe, and of course, it also has the party rooms and whatnot. So it's it's basically it starts on Friday, I'd say Thursday, and then goes straight in through Sunday when everyone is just kind of this burnt out husk in the lobby looking at each other like, what have I done to myself? (laughs) (laughs) Been there, done that. Exactly. All right. So let's, let's go back. So, so how did you, how did you get into this whole Linux and open source thing? Why, why, why was it a big deal to you? Well, funnily enough, I started off with Unix in college. So back in college, they had uh, sun spark stations. They had the the good old uh, sun four, sun OS four, uh, operating system on them. And I, you know, initially I, I was like, Unix, this is weird. This is, uh, this is something that I don't quite understand. And of course I'm trying to, you know, convert everything over to DOS commands and whatnot, which did not work very well. And after a while, Unix sort of clicked with me. So fast forward past college, I went over to, well, toward the very end, uh, there was one person who managed to get Linux running on a 386 machine. And I played around with it a little bit and he had open windows on there and it looked very much like a spark station that I was yeah. used to. Mm-hmm. And it was that sense, like whenever you see emulation happening on another machine where you're seeing the screen of something on something that you didn't expect to see on there, it was that that bit of fascination with that. So fast forward, I went worked over at Wayne State University and a gentleman by the name of uh, Jason Sodergrand, um, well, first, I started getting into downloading the floppy disks. And unfortunately... Um, Slackware? Slackware? Slackware, yes. yes. The good old Slackware disks. <laughs> and the problem with the Slackware disks were uh, there were about 20 different disks that you had to download. Um, and I didn't exactly have the fastest modem. I think I had a 28.8 modem at the time. So it took a while for those disks to download you had to find a good number of floppy disks and it just, it, it was not, it was not conducive to actually getting anything operational because unfortunately like most software during that day, usually disc 19 was bad. Um, and so the whole thing was for naught. <laughs> disc 19 so, or 20. <laughs> exactly. Disc 19 or 20 or, you know, just like toward the very end, everything just went completely haywire. So, uh, Jason Sogren lent me a copy of Transameritech on a CD-ROM. Uh, what is that? That was um, that was a company that did um, back in the day, back in those days, back in the, the yonder years. Uh, there were companies that would make CD-ROMs of all the Slackware images, and you could install from a CD-ROM. Okay. So he gave me a copy of Transameritech 1994 which at the time was still a little bit old, but it got me to the point where I you know, wasn't having to play around with all the floppy disks. It got me something more, more recent and whatnot. And of course, then I, from that, I found um, all, of, all of the different CD distribution folks like uh, 
Linux Central was one of them. I think Walnut Creek did some for a bit. Um, and I'm blanking on the one. I can see like the little grape with the Centurion hat on it. You know, were, were you were you at any point uh, when when you got this? You know, when you got this disc and when you started seeing the discs in the first place, were you like? communicating with anybody at the college or at work who was doing this as well? It was, it was mostly people at work. In here. Yeah, it was mostly people at work. Um, not really a whole lot of people online. And I'm, I'm foolish. I, I know this now. Uh, I didn't get involved with the local Unix users group at all. Um, for the longest time, I, I saw the advertisements for something like the, the Metro Detroit Linux users group and mug and whatnot. It's like, oh, I should go, I should go, I should go. And I didn't ever really go to a meeting until much, much later when I was further on in my career. I, 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 I regret that a bit uh, now, but on the same token, I think it was also the right time when I did it. And it's one of those, those weird, um, you know, was it too early for me to go? Was it not too early to go? I don't know. Yeah. It just, I, I managed to find it at the right time during the um, when I picked up Ubuntu. You know, I'm, that's further I'm, on down. I, I know I'm making you jump all over the place here, and sure, no worries. And that, that probably means like uh, it, I'm a terrible interviewer. Like my <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. That's fine. It goes everywhere, but I'm just curious. When did you first? Did you you did go to Mug right, to Michigan? I did go to Mug eventually. Yeah. yeah did, so did we meet at Mug? I no, I brought you to Mug. I think that's what it was. <laughs> See, this is, you know, this is the danger of, of knowing someone who runs a, a user's group because now I'm on the board of Mug uh-huh. uh, because we go and we find all the people that we know and we try and drag them to our meetings so that they can talk about interesting stuff <laughs> so that we don't have to do it. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that was that was me dragging you down to uh, to Mug to talk for a bit. But yeah, so it was InfoMagic was the name yes, of the company. Yes, yes, yes. I remember now too. Yes. Yeah. They had the the the, the grayish grape uh, doing all sorts yep. of things. Yeah, no, I remember and, InfoMagic discs. I do very well now that you mentioned it. Yeah. And those were, those were amazing because it had several different, different distributions on them. They came in a, uh, like a four or six pack disc uh, case, which was awesome. Um, and somehow got repurposed for other discs, but that's another story altogether. <laughs> Um, so, but yeah, they, it was, it was kind of cool getting the catalogs in the mail and seeing what different uh, things were going on. It was an exciting time. This is before the penguin even happened. So I have a shirt with the Linux platypus on it, <laughs> uh, oh which, has, which has been everywhere. Yeah. The platypus. Dude, dude, you have to, you have to take a picture of this. If, if the shirt exists, you have to take a picture and send it to me. I, I still have it. I still have it. Um, funnily enough, it's in a, it's in a video. Uh, so someone did a, a, a video of Electronicon. And if you look for just a hot minute, you'll see a picture of me in the front of it with the Linux platypus shirt on, Wow! uh, for, for watching Howard Scott Warshaw of Atari talk about the good old days of Atari and whatnot. Cool. But I really digress. <laughs> <laughs> that shirt has been through a lot. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll tell you the story about the, the, uh, yeah, what the hell? I'll tell you the story about one time I was um, in Canada uh, for a busker festival. And so I, I, I managed to get roped in to holding a unicycle by one of the folks that was doing a show. So I'm standing through the whole show holding a unicycle up in the air in front of all these people. And 
apparently the the Canadian seagulls have a tendency to want to take a dump on people. So I'm standing there with a, a grayish shirt on, uh, grayish white shirt, and all of a sudden I feel a plop on the side of me. It goes down the side of my face, and it's right on this. There's this big yellow, yellow blotch of seagull uh, effluent upon my shirt. And I'm standing here with a unicycle in the middle of Canada <laughs> in the middle with a shirt on and seagulls that would be like That would be like Winnipeg. You know that, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, it, 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 of course, I, I'm, I'm trying to ask the, the lovely people at the festival for a new shirt. And they're trying to do you know, the U.S. to Canadian dollar exchange. And I'm like, ma'am, this is your lucky day. I don't care. I just want the shirt. <laughs> She's trying to be all very polite and whatnot. And it's like, no, no, you, you know, $20 us is fine for a shirt. I'm okay. Don't stop trying to make change and stop trying to do the conversion. You know, you know, oh, you yeah. know this is how, this is, this is how the seagulls tell you they love you. You know that, right? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> all right. So platypus shirt. So, so platypus shirt. All right. So, so, so fast forward on. Yes, fast forward. Um, <laughs> Fast forwarding onward. Uh, so I, I started getting positions um, in the automotive industry and Linux was really important for that because it, number one, uh, around this time, I finally gotten to the point where I was fed up with doing the dual boot dance at the time between uh, Dawson Windows and Linux. Because every time it seemed like I was in the wrong operating system, no matter what it was. And so I finally bit the bullet and said, you know, I'm just going to go Linux full time and ditched DOS, ditched Windows and went down the path of trying to do everything under a Linux machine. This is before the days of open office. This is before the days of SCO WordPerfect. Uh, so the uh, the word processor that I picked was one called Applixware. Yes, I remember it well. Yeah, and Applixware was it was a very good uh, piece of software, but it was completely incompatible with everything else. I mean, even more so than than someone would claim that LibreOffice is nowadays. LibreOffice is actually like the Rosetta Stone compared to what Applixware was able to do at the time. I also picked up a copy of Sco WordPerfect. Uh, that I, version it wasn't WordPerfect. It was um, Corel. It was the scope version of WordPerfect. It was Corel, oh, yes. I think, at the time yes. that was doing it um, before they became Novell WordPerfect. Yes. Uh, somewhere in there. And so I had a copy of WordPerfect on Linux uh, that ran pretty well. Um, it was compatible with a lot of things. I could, you know, sit people down in front of my computer if they needed to do some word processing and they you know, weren't trying to figure out a very weird word processor to do anything. It was really kind of neat how it worked. And it used some kind of uh, binary compatibility layer. I think it was ELF or something um, like that. It, that well, it also it. used, it, it was it was a mishmash of things because I, I actually had a Corel WordPerfect as well. And uh, because I had my word processor of choice uh, in the before time, in the before Linux time was WordPerfect. And uh, right. when it became available on uh, Linux, I, I with mixed success. I mean, it was, it was actually quite good. It looked, it looked nice. I have to admit, uh, you know, uh, especially like you said in the days before LibreOffice. but I believe that part of it was, was, uh, supported by wine. So you had, you had some components that were early wine and, um, and of course, you know, some binary, you know, mishmash to, to make the whole thing. Yeah. Stick all together. Blocks, all the way down. 
Yeah, no, there are a lot of blobs in there. And like I said, it it, it worked. It worked well. Um, the printer stuff was a little weird how it would do printing. I mean, this is also back before the uh, time of cups and whatnot. So doing anything with a printer was basically get out your wand, your robe, and your magic hat and figure out what exactly it is is going to make it work for that day. Um, so, yeah, th- that was that was my conscious decision to move over to to a full on Linux system and keep on going with that. So did you, did you at some point decide that this was, you know, that you were going to, to, you know, marry your love of, you know, of uh, open software of Linux. And I mean, you were a big fan of Linux um, as the, uh, as the poster child of uh, free and open source software. Did you kind of decide at some point that, you know, this is this, if I'm going to work, if I'm going to do professional work out there, I'd like it to be using these tools. Um, Yes and no. I mean, the, the the thing is, I was ready for it. I don't think the workplace was ready for it. <laughs> Agreed. Quite yet. Um, so I, I over at um, at one of the companies that I worked at, Ford Motor Company, uh, they were doing stuff with um, internal stuff. You know, like we're um, we were using Perl for uh, CGI scripts and whatnot. Uh, in there in several different areas. And, and that was mostly because Perl was the way that you did interactive websites uh, in the day. I don't think it was a conscious decision that we're going to use open source software. It was, this is what works at the time and we're just going to yeah. use it. So it was more, a more pragmatic decision. Um, for me personally, it was, it was perfect. Cause it's like, okay, you know, I can, I can hang out on a, on a Unix based machine rather than using a windows based machine. Uh, and, you know, I, I found myself enjoying being in a Unix-based machine more often than I was on a Windows machine, partially because uh, I didn't have, I had more control over the machine that I was on. I've always felt under a Windows machine, and especially in a corporate environment, that you are always locked into whatever someone else decides is okay for you to be yep. doing. Whereas with a Unix-based machine, I mean, that, that, it depends on the corporate environment too. Um, I won't say that we were 100% uh, compliant all the time. Uh, there were definitely mission-critical desktops that were out there uh, working on stuff and whatnot. Um, but on the same token, it, it gave us some of the freedom to actually get work done. And we weren't spending our time you know, fussing with licensing. We weren't messing around with things like um, w- whether we were going to be able to afford this particular piece of software. Um, it, it just boggles my mind sometimes when people talk about, like I, I remember um, over at Wayne State University, they had a student version of Borland C++, 4.0. Right. And it was one of these massive boxes, you know, with all the manuals, with a CD-ROM in it. And I was happy to pay $99 for this thing <laughs> at, at a student discount as opposed to $499. Yeah. For a C compiler and a C compiler and an IDE and whatnot, and yeah, it was a you know best of breed IDE and whatnot. But nowadays, I'm like, I can go and pick up a Pocket Beagle or a Raspberry Pi and have a full GNU tool chain for less than thirty five dollars. Well, absolutely, and and of course, there are full blown graphical IDEs uh, for a variety exactly. of languages, you know, in, uh, under Linux and. And of course, now I mean, you know, it's it's funny to think in these things from a from a past tense, um, but nowadays, of course, 
Linux is the development platform of choice for so much. Yeah. Exactly. So and just putting myself in that, in that context of being able to professionally get stuff done using stuff that I actually enjoyed using on environments that I enjoyed using was a real win for me. Um, so that, that was something that I, I, I encouraged in my career. So a lot of times I would go over to different companies and I would be the person, you know, over at Chrysler, there was another person who was, um, who set up a Unix box, a Linux box over there. And it's like, I want that, you know, I, I don't want to sit with a windows machine and feel hamstrung the entire time that I'm trying to develop something. I want to be able to have the freedom to be able to get stuff done and get work done. So let me ask, and yeah, so let me ask you a question. So, so if, if you had to sort of pin it down, um, would you say it's entirely based around the technology or would you say that, you know, that because you use the word freedom several times there, you know, right. Like is, is there, you know, push comes to shove. Is there one thing over the other that becomes more important to you? Is it like, Hey, I've got access to this cool tech or I have the freedom to do this any way I want. It's a bit of both, honestly. Um, it's it's the ability for me to install a bunch of different packages and have them just a work and b be available to me. Um, and it's also the fact that I can go in there and take a look at the source code and see how things are actually working in there, um, and be able to pass that along to others. I'm really a fan of sharing. Have you have you contributed the, to any particular projects yourself? Um, middling stuff here and there. Um, there, there, um, I'm doing maintenance right now for a Mastodon, uh, command line interface. Oh, cool. Mastodon. Toot, uh, toot stream. Yes. Mastodon. Uh, I'm all, I'm all about being able to share stuff with folks. And so having the ability for me to say, okay, this is what works for me. I can now share this with you with no encumbrance. Cause if I wanted to share that C++ compiler, with someone else, that Borland C++ compiler, it's like, okay, um, I hope you don't get caught while you, you were using well, so Of course, you would, have, you would have never done that, of course. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> no, it would never it would never have happened. You know, we wouldn't have been uh, going around and finding all sorts of license keys and whatnot for exactly. software and, and trying to install Yeah, them. no, I, I mean, the, the, the whole concept of, of free and open source software, the idea that you can share whatever tools you find useful with them, with anyone else, you know, uh, obviously given the, uh, the classic open source licenses that we're familiar with, uh, GPL for instance, um, is, is really kind of freeing. I mean, it's, you know, here we go with that free thing again, but it, it's, it's freeing mm-hmm. because there, you don't stop to worry about, can I do this? Am I allowed to do this? Um, the, just the actual philosophy around the technology is that you do want to share. Right. So over at Chrysler, we had a, an, a, a perfect example of one of these things. So HP picked up one of the reporting packages that we had. Um, I think it was HP that picked it up. It was one of those companies that picked it up and basically said, this no longer exists. We no longer are supporting this. Uh, you have a, you now have a migration path 
off of this particular software, which is buy our other software and then spend the time and effort to try and convert all of this old soft, old report over to a new system, or you just stop using it. And to me, that, that always felt like, first off, it felt like a lot of wasted effort because you are now spending your time trying to convert something over from one platform to another platform. And oh, by the way, paying for the privilege to yes. do so. And it just seems like any company can come in there and say, the workflow that you have now, we're no longer supporting because it no longer benefits us. And that was always the thing with open source software to me and the GNU GPL in particular is that no one can come in there and say, we're going to close it off. We're going to shut things down. We're going to disrupt everything that you are doing now. You always with like with GPL and certain other licenses have the ability to say, okay, we can now put the time and effort into maintaining this. If we need to, we can now, we are we can be the masters and mistresses of our own destiny as opposed to having someone else say, this is our bottom line and it no longer makes sense for us to do this. So what are you doing today? What do you, what, what pro like, what, what, uh, what are you doing in terms of, uh, you know, anything that you would qualify as, as um, following in that, you know, in that philosophy, not just technologically speaking. I know you mentioned Mastodon a moment ago, and, and you might actually want to give a right. plug to Mastodon because I think, I, think, I, I, think it's, so. I think it's fascinating. But why don't you give us an idea of, of, you know, where this has all driven you to today? Like, what do you, what do you get involved with? You might even, you know, you might even mention that you're a musician at some point. <laughs> 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 well, th this whole philosophy has gotten me into a lot of interesting places. Uh, number one, I am one of the board members of our uh, local Unix users group, uh, where we try and find all sorts of folks uh, to talk about interesting topics. And that topics. user group is so, called? That is the Michigan Unix users nice. group, or MUG.org, M-U-G.org. Uh, it's also got me uh, doing a podcast, which is now coming up on its eighth year. In, in publication called Open Metalcast. Uh, that is, uh, if, it's available at openmetalcast.com. And it is a show dedicated to Creative Commons licensed metal music. Uh, the hubris of it is that you shouldn't have to worry about sharing music. Uh, that, you know, you shouldn't worry about sending someone an, an MP3 file or a flack or whatever, and then have someone tap you on the shoulder and say, you did something. You know, bad. as a former top 40 disc jockey from way back when, uh, you, you, you just, you know, you're warming the cockles of my heart here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, professionally, it's got me working on, um, on some Django-based system. And funnily enough, uh, talking about reporting, we decided to use an open source project, uh, Wheezy Print, for our reporting for one of the particular reports that we were doing. We looked around and there were some commercial packages that might have done what we needed to do. But on the same token, I can also use something like Wheezy Print, which uses Cairo and Pango and some of the other things that we're familiar with and uses CSS and HTML to build a report. And that support is going to be around with us for quite a while because, again, it's open source. And if we decide to take it in a different direction or if, if you know, the persons that are involved with it decide to 
pull up and, and no longer support it. We still had the freedom to, to keep it going if we need be. And Mastodon? And Mastodon. Mastodon is a federated platform, uh, AGPL licensed, using the Open Activity Pub uh, W3 recommendation uh, protocol. What all that means is might want that to com- what does it compare to? I know it's I know it's terrible to mention this, but what is it? What, what, what <laughs> you can social you can network out there are people going to recognize it as being like or similar to? Exactly, it it is very much similar to something like Twitter. But think of Twitter if you had multiple versions of Twitter out there that can communicate to each other via a protocol like email. That is. The, the gist of what a Mastodon system is, it's a microblogging platform, much like Twitter, and it allows folks to create their own local communities. So much like a, an email server uh, could have multiple different persons on there or email accounts, you can also have multiple accounts on Mastodon servers across the world. So and you can create communities. So let's say if you wanted to do something like board games, if you wanted to do something like web development, or if you wanted to do something like um, music, you could do a uh, create a Mastodon instance and then focus your community based on those interests. Do you, I, I know that you're active on Mastodon because you know because I, I'm 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 not active like you are, but I'm on Mastodon as well. Um, do you have you created your own instance? I've not uh, felt okay. the need to. Um, I'm on one of the generic instances and partially that's because I'm kind of a generic person uh, when in my own online dealings and whatnot, I'm, you basically get the whole package. So yeah, I'm on, I'm on octodon.social. Uh, so if you find me there at Craig Maloney at octodon.social, uh, that's pretty much the fire hose of my life. Um, I'm here and there on other different platforms as well. I'm on dice.camp, which is uh, tabletop RPG focused. And not terribly active on some of the other ones, so I won't mention them here. But uh, I'll, I'll keep a list of them up on my website. All right. Hey, do you do you, uh, do, you do you do any uh, do you know any, any Linux gaming? I do some Linux gaming. Um, I've I've done some presentations on Linux gaming as well. Uh, the state of Linux gaming. Unfortunately, I tend to bring my very underpowered laptop, so I get all sorts of complaints of that's the state of Linux gaming. It's horrible. Ah. It's like, no, it's because I've got an X120E AMD underpowered netbook basically running these yeah, things. No, this, so, this, this, sorry. This was that, purely but. a curiosity question. No, I do actually. I do, um, I do Linux gaming. Uh, I have a Steam account. Um, we, you know, we'll find uh, my wife, Jody, and I playing stuff like Civilization and Master of Orion. Uh, those tend to be the games that we enjoy uh, playing a lot. Um, Zacharia Pinball as well, which Zacharia Pinball is a, uh, it's an Italian pinball manufacturer that was popular in the late seventies, early eighties, um, that created a, a series of pinball machines. And the people that are putting that out have Linux support for, uh, for their game. And it's got really good physics. Uh, the tables are interesting. They're not your normal fare that you find over here in the United States. So definitely check that one I out. I will make sure to do that. So if you uh, if you wanted to con- like if you wanted to give people some advice as to you know a how to 
you know, how to uh, move into a career in tech or how to take advantage of what's available in open source, what would you recommend to them today? Would, would you, would you say to seek out user groups or, um, you know, I, I know that, I know that lugs in general, you know, aren't as busy as they used to be partly because let's face it, Linux is easy now. Um, uh, I don't think it's necessarily that Linux is easy. I think it's ubiquitous. Yeah, well, that, no, that's well, that's part of what makes it easy. I mean, my Google Home unit is yeah. a Linux box, you know. But I, I think, and we've, we've talked about this uh, with the user, Unix users groups and that, is I don't think people think of themselves as Linux users anymore. I think they think of themselves either as developers, um, they think of themselves as as backend folks, system administrators, they don't tend to think of themselves as as Linux users anymore. Linux kind of won. Yeah, yeah and we're, so, we are the establishment now, I like to say. Yeah, exactly. So more folks have had exposure to a Linux-based box, even if it's something, even the, the GNU tool chain. I mean, how many Macintosh folks are using Brew to try and get uh, access to Linux and GNU-based tools? on their platforms. So I think it's still important to have a Unix users group or a Linux users group, um, if for nothing more than just to be part of that community and be a part of the, the hive mind, if you will, of a lot of different people that are working with this stuff and that have access to things and can give you guidance on this stuff. So having it, in a sense, it's kind of like having a mentor but it's also being a mentor yourself in, you know, giving back to the community as a whole and letting folks know, hey, you're not alone in all of this stuff. I think that's a real key thing that Unix users groups and Linux users groups need to focus on is the whole aspect of a community. Because, yes, you can get all the answers that you ever want on Stack Overflow. You can... You know, you you don't necessarily need to worry about problems that we had of how do I get my X resolution stuff to work? How do I get my printer to work? How do I get the damn thing to boot? Uh, that is that is very easy to do now. And in fact, you can pick up machines now that are ready to go out of the box. So the concerns for the technical aspects of it kind of fade away. And I think people, if, if they focus on the technical aspects of it, they're going to miss out on the broader community of folks that are in there. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to ask you this question, you know, uh, pr- presumably already knowing the answer for myself, but it is true. I mean, I, I'm, I'm fond of pointing out that Linux is probably the single most popular operating system in the world by a long shot these days, although most people don't actually know they're using Linux, uh, you know, from, you know, whether it's Android to Chromebooks to web servers to, you know, to the, uh, to the machines that carry people's email and so forth. But do you think it's important, like from your perspective, for people to know that they're using open source software, to know um, how this stuff got into their hands in the first place? Or, or, you know, or is it that we have won that battle and there's really no point in hashing that out? I think it's still important. Um, it's not necessarily as important as, as it used to be, where it was more of a branding thing where we had to say, okay, yes, we, you are using Linux underneath of it, and here's Linux, and here's all the wonderful things that Linux can give to you. I think it's still important, though, to let people know what the philosophy is, because the philosophy is really 
the, the part that kind of goes away over time when people look at stuff like the GPL license and say, that's really restricting. I can't make a commercial product out of this. I can't, I can't translate this however I want. I have to give this back. And I think that the philosophy is really the most important thing about Linux. And it's kind of like when Apple went over to Xerox Park and they mimicked a lot of the front end pieces of what the what made the uh, the park system and the uh, the Alto system unique, but they didn't mimic enough of it. And I think that's the problem that we're facing nowadays is that people aren't understanding the philosophy that makes an open source and free and libre open source software so important. I think if we continue. I mean, we, we've, we've won on the technical aspects. There is no arguing about the technical merits, but we need to, to focus more on, hey, giving back to the community is really important. And having that freedom to be able to give back is incredibly important because otherwise we're going to lose a lot of the stuff that we've, we've made over the years. And of course, community, is, community would be important in that because... Community is how you maintain that that knowledge and that um, and that belief in the importance of of letting people understand where the stuff came from and how how it impacts them or affects them and even necessarily where it came from. I mean, because there's a there's a book that um, our friend Michael Lucas uh, published called Ed Mastery, and he cr- he created it on April first or sorry, released it on April first. It's kind of a jokey book. It's the idea that the ed editor is the the most powerful editor that you can possibly use, and it's the best editor. And you know, people who've been under on Unix are like, eh? <laughs> you know, but but what's interesting about it is a lot of the stuff that's in there is where VI came from. A lot of the stuff that's in there is where regex came from. You know, and, and there's the, the the classic thing that blows people's minds is what grep means. It's like global regex and then print that is what grep no, means replacement so, expression parser uh okay <laughs> print you know what yeah, no. you know what this, no, this no. You, you could have an if you had if you had like 60 different people standing in the room you'd probably get 60 different answers as to what grep stands for right exactly but that's the thing is that there's a lot of the the history and whatnot that also gets buried um, and a lot of the philosophy of, of what made a Unix system work gets buried and what makes the GPL such a phenomenal license gets buried. So I think there, yeah, the, the community is where the oral traditions of this stuff can get carried on. And so it's not just a focus of how do I get the damn thing to work? It's where did this come from and why is it important to you? You know, we should have like a, we should have like this online group where we we create stories uh, built around open source hackers where they build all sorts of amazing things during the day that all disappear and fall apart at night, like Phineas and Ferb, but with open source software. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, and, and two people create, you know. I don't think the, the people who created Unix would under would you know see Linux quite in the same way. It's kind of a ship of Theseus in a way. It's like a lot of this stuff got bolted on and replaced over time and, and added on and augmented and whatnot. And it's like I, I I think though understanding where we where we started from 
it can help a bit. I mean, it's it's not, you know, like sit on my knee, child, and I'll tell you tales of the old country sort of thing. But it's 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 we need to at least have some idea, some perspective of what what things looked like back when and why things are the way they are today. Well, on that note, Craig, <laughs> I know that we uh, hit this a couple of times earlier on, but how do people get a hold of you? Uh, sure. You can find me over at my website, which is decafbad.net. That is D-E-C-A-F-B-A-D.net, as yes. in the bad coffee. Uh, and you can also hit me up over on Mastodon. Um, I'm at Craig Maloney at octodon.social. Um, I'm also available on the Google Plus, um, although I don't use it quite as much nowadays. Um, but I also have a link on my on my website of all the places that I frequent, as well as you know places like Freenode and whatnot. And I'm on there probably most times and whatnot. And I'm also available in the Linux. That's right on IRC on the Linux Journal well. channel. That is true. And of course, of course, you would like to invite people to both Mug and uh, PengaCon, presumably. Definitely uh, on Mug. We do a live stream of our meetings, uh, so you can check us out on YouTube. And we also post videos of our, our meetings as well, um, as we can. And yes, over at penguincon.org, uh, you probably won't be able to find me over there because it is a large, uh, chaotic place. But if you do, um, we usually try and do the Ubuntu Michigan uh, Loco meetup on Friday around 7 o'clock. So say hi. And look at me with uh, as I give you the deer in headlights. Who the heck are you? <laughs> look that I give everyone because it, it just I'm trying to take it all in all at the same time. All right. Well, thank you. Thank you. And thank, thank, and thank you, you for being my first experiment on using this uh, online recording software because uh, uh, it, it you know for all the world it looks like it's working. We're going to find out whether. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. When when, we, when, when I click out. the button that says stop recording on Zencaster here, we're going to find out whether or not this is actually uh, saved for posterity at all. But um, you'll have to oh, let me know course, how it works. Of course, again, I will. And uh, and I'm going to put this together as uh, you know. Uh, you've already agreed to this, of course. You know, uh, but I'm going to put this together as a uh, you know uh, people who work in and love open source and uh, why they work in and love open source, and um, and uh, that's it. Thanks again, and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll see you online, probably in you know, the usual places. Definitely. <laughs> exactly. Right. I'll talk to you later, Marcel. Thanks.